Second Kings chapter 15 this evening, the killer kings, that's what we're going to consider. This record of the kings in First and Second Kings continues with disregard for chronology. And uh, anyway, it, we're going to concentrate on the events. In verse 28, I'll comment about the chronology being secondary and the behavior being primary. Uh, and if, if you're a person that just needs to have everything outlined and just perfect, uh, then you're going to be tripped up with the Bible. Uh, you, it, it, it's not disorganized entirely, but uh, the points are all made, and that is the, the important part. Of the six kings uh, that are listed here from the northern kingdom, four were assassinated. That alone is a lesson. These are supposed to be the people of God. These are the custodians of of the scriptures as a people called to do this, unlike anyone else on earth, and yet we discover these things. Sin is is a very serious thing. It is uh, not playing with us. It is not toying with us, and neither is God. And that's what uh, Jeremiah had to learn when God sent him to the house of the potter to go there and look at the potter. And there he uh, worked at the clay at the wheel. He was making something. Uh, He had a a plan. And uh, so does God. Well, these kings were not loyal to Yahweh. And uh, why would we then expect them to be loyal to each other, to to their kings? We shouldn't be surprised that we find that they are killing people so that they can become the king. And uh, Zechariah is one of the kings that will reign in the northern kingdom. He is the last one of the Jehu dynasty. Um, The prophet said to Jehu, because you dealt with Ahab and Jezebel in the house of Ahab, you'll have a king on the throne for four generations, or four times. And uh, Zechariah is the last of them. He is going to be killed by Shalom. And then Shalom, um, he will be killed by Menahem. Menahem will not die a violent death, though he is a violent man. Then Pekiah, he will reign, and he is killed by Pekah. Now, Pekah is the one that first gave us Pekaboo. <laughs> no, he's not. But he kills Pekiah. And then Hosea kills Pekah. Now, it's not happening the same day. I mean, there are many years involved, a lot of activity. For instance, Pekah does many wars. He's a, he's a, um, a very accomplished military commander. And uh, yet he ends up being assassinated too. And thus we have chapter 15 of Second Kings, the killer kings. And now we look at verse 1, and it, it starts off by dating the reign of a southern king, Azariah, with the reign of a northern king, which just adds to our confusion. In the tw- uh, 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. Well, Azariah, he was the thistle king. And, you know, he started picking fights. He couldn't win, and he paid dearly for it. He retreated to get away from the kingdom, his own people, and they hunted him down in Lachish, and they 
they assassinated him there. Well, uh, this Jeroboam that is mentioned, the second Jeroboam, the first one goes back to the days after Solomon's death, he, he made no effort to please God, but he did a lot for the kingdom. And this is common grace, God giving grace to uh, those who do not deserve it, which none of us do, that's the meaning of grace, undeserved kindness. But common grace, without common grace, mankind would self-destruct. So God does bless, he does protect, and he gives. Even though it is met with ingratitude, he does this nonetheless. Uh, The prophets Hosea and Amos, as I've been saying, have been pointing out the prosperity during this time the ivory that just was everywhere, the gold, how the, 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 the kingdom was prosperous. But there was moral decay, and it was severe. And this is, explains why they're killing each other for the throne. There's no word of God. There's no conscience holding these men. They do as they please. And uh, the idolatry, of course, being the foundation for this irreverent behavior. And also, the prophets talk about the loss of justice. Now, If you live in a place where there is no justice, it is a very serious problem if you are a righteous person. If you are an unrighteous person with no conscience, then you probably thrive in that kind of environment. But if you're a decent person, you expect the powers in control to offer justice. And, you know, much of that has been eroding. Well, it is constantly, it's never been perfect amongst the any accomplished society. It's been better than other times. Right now, it's it's, it's the luck of the the straw you draw of what's going to happen if you end up in the court system. Anyway, because now we have political activists on the bench, whereas in the days of Hosea and Amos and the other prophets, they just had immoral, idolatrous judges that were just corrupt, looking out for themselves. We have some of that, too. Azariah, the son of Amaziah, uh, this is Uzziah. I'm not calling you a name, <laughs> but uh, he has the, these two names. And he seems to have been given the name Azariah at birth. That was his birth name. When the prophet Isaiah writes a biography on him, it is called the Acts of Uriah. So the, the Azariah, his birth name, doesn't stick with the prophets. They call him Uzziah. All the prophets that reference him and ministered in his days. We're not sure. It's unstated why he is Uzziah. But I think, I think as we do in other places, we do a little detective work and we can get very close if not there. Name is identity. And it, it speaks of nature in, in the scripture. And there are many name changes and variants throughout the scripture. We, we, we we're fine. You know, Jacob being one of the most famous, from Jacob to Israel, uh, the Lord changing his name. Then there's Simon, son of Jonah, changed by the Lord to Peter, called Peter, and that's the name we know him by. Then, of course, there's Saul, who the apostle who changed his name, it, it appears, it just all of a sudden he starts going by Paul. And uh, this is so, it's, it's common. 
Well, when you come to Christ, your identity, your nature changes. Anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. That's more from God's standpoint than our standpoint. Because we are new creations. We're not the same person. Well, we struggle with many of the same sins. And so that, uh, that change is limited uh, as we look at it. But from God's perspective, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And when he looks at us, he sees the work of Christ. There's no sin there. And this is, of course, how he has arranged it. Otherwise, we couldn't be reconciled. Well, Azariah, his given name, the Lord is help. Yahweh is my help. But when he goes by Uzziah, Yahweh is my strength. Well, he oversteps his boundary and he's smitten with leprosy by the Lord. Uh, he, he became arrogant. And the Bible tells us that. And the name change is connected. Uh, I think the evidence is there to that event. His repentance his admitting to God that he was wrong. The Assyrians have monuments from this time that we have, archaeologists and we, have today. And he has mentioned this king, Azariah, on the monument of the Assyrians four times as Azariah, not as Uzziah. Which, again, you find the name Uzziah around those who love the Lord, the prophets. And the name change, again, after he became a leper, he is called Uzziah. Yahweh is my strength. Why not my help? Well, he sinned. And the penalty for the sin he committed was death. And God did not strike him dead. He just smote him with leprosy. Eighty priests ran to the temple to withstand him. You're not offering incense here. We don't care who you are. They're ready to fight to the death. And the Lord intervened, struck him on the head with leprosy. And the priest saw it. You're a leper. And he could tell by looking. He didn't have a mirror right away. (laughs) He couldn't look in the mirror. He knew something was not right. And they whisked him out of there. And the Bible says, indeed, he he was willing to get out of there. And he lived the rest of his life in seclusion. And he had to have known. That it was the strength of God's hand and grace and mercy that spared his life. Because he lives into his 70s, almost 70s. I mean, he's a king at, six, at 16. He reigns 52 years. He has such an impact on the nation that at his death, Isaiah breaks out. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And that connection is not just, you know, by chance. Others had died, and there was no great this outburst of spiritual uh, awakening in the, in the heart of the prophet. But when Uzziah died, uh, it, was an, it impacted the prophet, and it shows up in his writings. So the new name, Uzziah, and that's the name that I'll try to refer to him as. It is the confession. It is repentance. It is a reflection of the grace of God. Well, we move on. It says here about Uzziah, he was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jachaliah of Jerusalem. Well, he was a teen king after his father's assassination. The way it reads in Chronicles is though there was a delight to make him king. His 52-year reign, as I mentioned, uh, mentioned, makes him about 68, 69 years old. 
He's co-regent with his son, Jotham, who was a good king also. And Uzziah is a good king. I'm going to cover in a minute some of his accomplishments. His mother is mentioned here as the mother of another king. She must have been a woman of some decent reputation to find her way into the records. Just an honorable mention. Uh, verse, And, you know, it's good to have people that we honor, that we respect, that we admire for a reason, not just because. And she was likely one of those types of people that you just admired. Uh, we all should have heroes. We all should have someone that we admire, whether they're dead, long dead, or still alive. If they're still alive, you have to bring an extra dose of grace because they're going to disappoint you at some point. And you can't, you can't just say, oh, man, they just let me down. I'm crushed now. They can be my hero no more. Uh, that might not be fair. Well, it might be. It depends on the situation. But anyway, um, coming back to this, verse 3, And he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Now, there's no, there's no asterisk next to that except the leprosy outbreak. Um, but of the 19 kings of Judah, only... Six of them, and not counting David and Solomon, are, were really good in the eyes of the Lord. And Solomon, of course, brings up debate. But there was Asa. He did well. And when he was old, he became stubborn and diseased in his feet. And he stumbled, no pun intended, he stumbled a little with the Lord there. Um, Jehoshaphat, of course, he, he adored Yahweh. He just couldn't pick good friends. And he paid for it. Lessons all over the place for us there. Uzziah, as whom we're talking about, his son Jotham, then Hezekiah, and Josiah is the final Judean king in the Old Testament. Well, the accomplishments of this Uzziah, <clears throat> one, the blessings of God on him, and I'll quote that in a minute. He conquered the Philistines, the Edomites, and the Ammonites. He, he sub, he'd subdued these people that were a problem. And he, of course, received gold and silver from them, tribute. That strengthened his military and built the infrastructure of his, his, his kingdom, which benefited God's people. He established access routes to the sea, the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. He repaired and reinforced the wall around Jerusalem. That's a big deal because that's a deterrent. That's a defense system. Before a king decides, let's go conquer Jerusalem, oh, wait, they got a pretty big wall there. I don't know if it's worth it. <clears throat> he built Jewish cities and conquered territories. And then he established garrisons, troops, forts, camps there in those areas. And these were Philistine. Many of them were Philistine areas. He significantly advanced the military of Judah. In fact, they were inventing all sorts of war machines under his, his reign. And he, Cain's directly responsible for this. He could, put a, he could have not been doing this. Um, <clears throat> he developed significantly Judah's agricultural system. And he greatly improved uh, just the life in Israel of Judah and their territory. This is a good king. The Bible says in Second Chronicles, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought Yahweh, God made him prosper. 
that, uh, again, he's going to stumble, but this is him overall. Zechariah, this prophet here, we otherwise unknown. We don't know. It's not the Zechariah who wrote the book of Zechariah. Uh, that comes much later. Verse 4, except, in, except that the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Now, we've been covering this. These were worship centers that were expressly forbidden in their Bible. But God's a chatterbox. Who needs to listen to him? I do what I think is good. Because he understands I'm a decent person. If you believe that, you are spiritually ignorant. And you're lining yourself up for judgment. And you're not getting a pass on that. The, the apostles, Peter, John, and James, went up on a high mountain when Christ was transfigured. They were so taken emotionally, especially Peter. who Peter was an emotional guy. We pick it up in Matthew 17. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, this is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Mary. Okay, it doesn't say Mary. But that's what happens today. He says Elijah. And of course, the father interrupts them. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, singled them out. And suddenly a voice came out, of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He's the one. He is the anointed, the Christ, the Messiah. Nobody else is in his class. And, and that is a profound lesson. But, okay, it's there in the Bible. How come people who claim to believe the Bible disregard that and build these centers of false worship in Jesus' name? Well, that's what they were doing here in Israel. Nothing new under the sun. And the judgments will be the same. This is serious stuff. I'll get to Revelation and the great white throne judgment if I ever get out of this chapter this evening. Second Kings 17, they feared Yahweh. We'll get this next, next section when we get to Ahaz. They feared Yahweh, yet served their own gods. Are these people insane? This is irrational. Why would you serve Yahweh when he forbids doing this? You do it nonetheless. Do you think you're just going to kind of get away with this? Well, you know, God's a big idiot. He doesn't see these kind of things. I could do this with somebody else's wife and nobody will ever care. You're crazy. And the Bible singles us out. It points at you if you do this kind of stuff. So what are you doing? You, what are you doing? They feared Yahweh and served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. This goes back to Deuteronomy. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates which Yahweh gives to you. And in Chronicles, when Solomon comes along, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said, I have heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. There is to be no more, no other. And then we read in Numbers, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you destroy their engraved stones, destroy their molded images, and abolish their high places. When you come to Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you begin to abolish all those other fake saviors and lords in your life. You get rid of the lies. And that's a parallel to, to the principle the commandment there in Numbers finds a parallel teaching in reality. 
You cannot have buddy gods. You cannot have auxiliary places of salvation. There's one cross of Christ and no other. And why is this so difficult? What do, why does man think it is cute to tinker with God's word? To, to just tell him, no, you don't mean it. You said it, but I don't believe it. Well, Satan pulls it off. He blinds people. He distracts them. He whispers in their ear, don't believe that. It can't be true. Josiah, the last, uh, as I mentioned, of the good kings in Judah, he finished what Hezekiah started. King Hezekiah comes along, and it says, he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. These people were worshiping created things. It's like you, you know, it's like you're drawing a picture and then you start worshiping what you drew. Again, you're, you're, you're not God. You're not divine. You're not self-existent. You're not omniscient. You can't be everywhere at the same time. And you're not all-powerful. And you're not able to beat death. And then you're disqualified. You can't be God. You're not big enough. You can't do those things. You are disqualified. And, and, and yet, uh, of course, Hezekiah smashes these things up, calls them Nehushtan. They're worthless things. They're not Yahweh. But he couldn't get, the, he couldn't get it out of the land. It could come back in. He'd eradicate it. They go low profile for a while, then they pop back up. Same thing that people do today. They act like I've given my life to Christ. And next thing you know, they're mingling in some other junk. And what are you doing? That kind of leaven will send you to hell. You can't improve on what Christ has done. Second Chronicles tells us in chapter 34, as Josiah comes along years later, Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve Yahweh their God. All his days they did not depart from following Yahweh God, the God of their fathers. But sadly that reform was superficial. Some were sincere, but when he died, the next four kings were monsters. And they persecuted the prophets, particularly Jeremiah. And they were all dealt with by God, ultimately. Evil gets away with it for a while, but at the end, it's got to land. It runs out of fuel, and that landing is not really a landing, it's a crash. And uh, again, we're seeing people uh, uh, do this to this day. They have their high places, and they won't let them go. Um, when the kings couldn't get this stuff out, they weren't giving the good kings. They weren't giving permission or tolerating it. It was just that it was too difficult to eradicate uh, this stuff out, out of Israel. Well, coming now to verse 5. Then Yahweh struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house, and Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house judging the people of the land. So this is that good king Uzziah. And God is saying, if I'm going to deal with Uzziah this way, who's a good king, what do you think I'm going to do with you who are bringing in idols? <clears throat> he thought that he could be a priest when it was forbidden. 
No one could be in the office of a priest in Israel except the sons of Aaron, the descendants of Aaron. That's in their law. When he got too big for his britches. And so you look at this good king and you hear this, God, the Lord struck him, huh? For, again, his presumptuous disobedience. Well, I'll get a pass. I'm the king. People do this all the time. And God judges them all the time for it. Well, his father, Amaziah, wanted to be known as this great general. You know, he was really the thistle. He tried to take down Jeroboam, and he, of course, became a prisoner of war himself, and then assassinated. Uzziah wanted to serve both God as king and as priest, spiritual leader, offering the incense at the golden altar. And in the priesthood, in the Old Testament, the priesthood and the monarchy were not to mix. They're two separate, they were to remain distinct. One was spiritual, the other one was physical, primarily, but both were spiritual. Both had physical elements, too. And in the blink of an eye, the great and powerful Uzziah was a leper, unclean, a social outcast until his death. And God could have done worse to him. But he leaves him as a, as a messenger to us. Yahweh is your strength. And that should suffice. And so, as I mentioned, the kings put him out. Only Christ can be the prophet, the king, and the priest. Only the anointed. God the Son. He is the Son of God because he is God the Son. The Bible says that it, he did not consider it robbery to be counted equal to the Father, because He is equal to the Father, because the Father arranged it that way from eternity past. And He is after the order of Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem and also its priest. And no man could appoint themselves priest, especially high priest in the land. And one of the Jeroboam's, what Jeroboam does when he says, you know what, I don't want the people going to Jerusalem to worship, no matter what Moses says, no matter what the Bible says, he makes up his own priest. Anybody could be one. See, the, the, the sin he committed was just, that's why every time we come across Jeroboam the first, his name, the Bible says, he's the one that made it, he did it, he did it. And it's a message to anybody reading it. Don't, don't this be you. I'm going to say it just like that. Who cares about grammar when it makes the point? Don't this be you. Actually, it sounds kind of King Jamish. Numbers 18. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And that was Uzziah. And God did not kill him. Because God is not petty. People are petty. God's not petty. Well, God spared him. So he dwelt in verse 5. So he dwelt in ice in an isolated house. Removed from the people. Co-regent with his son. Uh, and, Jot, and Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house. And he's a good king. But he won't live that long. He dies at 41. And that's a judgment not on him, but on the people. They, they were going to get the king they deserved. Because they're fooling around with God. Um, playing games with him. You know, we're God's people, but 
Really, they, they despised the law of God. Verse 6, Now the rest of the acts of Azariah, who is Uzziah, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Verse 7, So Azariah rested with his fathers, and he buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. They have found, essentially, the gravestone of Uzziah, uh, and that's the name it goes by. He's buried as Uzziah, not Azariah, which lends back to what I was saying earlier. Um, So here, verse 7, Isaiah the prophet who supported Uzziah will support his son Jotham also. Now, when the king Uzziah died, as I mentioned, Isaiah 6.1, saw the Lord high and lifted up the train of his robe, filled the temple. It's just such an assurance assurance that God was still on the throne, even though after 52 years, Uzziah was no longer there. And this void. And, you know, if you live long enough, you you know, people that aren't the best characters, but you grew up with on television, when they die, you kind of a little piece of you goes with them. Like, man, I remember my mom used to watch that guy or whatever. And so there's, there's a connection. Well, this is a righteous connection, not a casual or common one. When this king died, it affected Isaiah. And when Josiah dies, it will affect Jeremiah. In Second Chronicles, we read, Jeremiah also lamented for Josiah broke his heart that a righteous king had died. And in Josiah's uh, case, it was such a waste. It just, he was trying, he made a mistake and he paid for it with his life. But you will meet Josiah in heaven. You're a righteous king. Well, anyway, um, this, uh, and, and incidentally, Josiah was in the, the only king that Jeremiah knew for 18 years. And when he died, he lamented, and he knew those rotten kids. You know, unlike Jotham, that was not a rotten kid, but a good kid. Well, Jeremiah knew that Josiah's sons, they're bad news. And, and they were. Anyway, verse 8. In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. And six months is all he's going to get, because he's going to get killed. And he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. That's the one that changed the location of worship and just made a priest. Who made Israel sin. And the the historians are brutal and righteously. It's a righteous indignation. They're almost fed up with this stuff. When they keep hammering that, every time they come to his name, don't forget to put in there. The supervisor telling the scribe, don't forget the one that made Israel sin. <laughs> so, and so we want our people to understand it. Uh, anyway, uh, where am I? Verse 9, he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat. Uh, so this section now, again, chronologically goes back in time. So again, we're all over the place. And it is calling this period of violent men killing each other to be king, with the exception of the one uh, Menahem that I I mentioned. This is the fruit of 300 years of apostasy. In, In Yahweh's name, much of it. Wait till we get to Ahaz, 
who just throws out the, 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 altars of, the altar of Solomon and just finds one in the pagan world and, and has one made up after that one. I, I saw this pagan altar. Uh, we need that here. Oh, he's such an innovator. You know, from, he, from hell's standpoint, he's wonderful. Anyway, um, this I mentioned already commented on Zechari- Zechariah, the king, not the prophet that, that spoke to you, Uriah in the south. <clears throat> he reigns for six months and he is killed. Verse 10, Then Shulam, the son of Jeb- Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people, and he reigned in his place. Well, that was a bold move. You know, it was blatant, blatant execution. Like, look, we all don't like you, and uh, nobody's going to object to this. Uh, excuse me while I kill you, kind of a thing. He's likely fed up with his politics and dealing with just everything. Um, and his weakness of, in character. So he, he kills him outright. Um, <clears throat> the Assyrians have a record on Shalom as the king in Israel, and it says that he was the son of nobody. <laughs> What's with these people talking about your parents? I mean, first we have Jehu telling Jeza, you know, uh, Azariah about his mother Jezebel. Now we've got the Assyrians talking about it. He doesn't have any. Well, what they're saying is he's probably he's not from royalty. He was a commoner, and they didn't respect him, and they wanted to point that out. Well, um, Amos the prophet actually prophesied that um, this, this would be the case with these kings, and they could stand Amos for doing it. It didn't matter that it all came true. They didn't go back to Amos and said, you know what, your prophecies are right. We need to, we need to clean up our act. No, that wasn't the way they did it. Verse 11, now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Let me pause here a minute to say, the sin's got such a grip. You're preaching to Christ, to somebody, to lead them to the Lord. You better be praying for them. Because this Satan has got moves that can only be neutralized through prayer. I, I believe that. Uh, you just uh, the, the, the power of God working. I, I believe God already sees what's happening and is making his move and we, inviting us to be part of it. And so... Uh, yeah, it's very difficult for a person to have this realization, Jesus is Lord, I am a sinner, I am not worthy, and I repent and, and, and change. Um, it's very spiritual, it's invisible, but it is not the works, the fruits of it are very visible. But what's going on in the inside? You can't x-ray it, you can't get an MRI and say, look at that, a spiritual deficiency, there it is right there. It should be next to the funnel low, but it's not. Well, you can't do that because it's spiritual. Well, verse 12, this was the word of Yahweh which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. Well, that prophecy is fulfilled. Verse 13, Shalom, the son of Jebesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, because he reigned 52 years. And he reigned a full month in Samaria. So this one is the short. He doesn't, he gets 30 days. Verse 14. For Menahem, the son of Gadai, he was a Gadai warrior, probably. Anyway, went to Terza, came to Samaria, and struck Shalom, 
came to uh, from Terza, came to Samaria, struck Shalom, the son of Jebesh, in Samaria, and killed him, and he reigned in his place. The killer kings. Terza is said, it's, it comes up in Solomon's song, is beautiful up there, according at the time. And it was the capital city in the north. But uh, Om, Omri realized, you know, it's just not fortified enough. And he moved it to Samaria, which is a natural fortification. And that's why he moved the capital to Samaria. Anyway, verse 15. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom and the conspiracy which led indeed, which he led indeed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Well, we don't have that book. That's extinct. We take his word for it. <laughs> Verse 16, then from Terza, Menahem attacked Tipsha, <laughs> all who were there, and its territory, because they did not surrender. Therefore, he attacked it. All the women there who were with child, he ripped open. Yeah, you didn't see that coming. We're reading along, you're just looking, the king's all of a sudden some gory terror pops out, and writers saying, this is the reality of, of the sin. These folks at Tipsha, they didn't like Menahem becoming king and killing Shalom, so they resisted. And he was brutal and cruel, and so he attacked them, and he murdered, and uh, that's how he, he dealt with it. There's nothing new about terrorism. That's what this was. Joseph Goebbels, you know, Hitler's minister of propaganda... If you read his quotes today, you would think that he is the chair in the Democrat Party today. I'm not kidding you. I'm not, I'm not taking cheap shots. You read what he says about how to manipulate people, and he says, this is them. Never admit that you're wrong, no matter what evidence they put in front of things like that. Well, this is what he says, one of the things he says. Terror could also be used to compel people to change their behavior. And so it's... You don't like Hitler? Well, how about we terrorize you? I think your behavior will, I think everything about you will change after that. And that's what he did. They terrorized their opponents. If you were stood up in a, in a, in a, in a forum of debate in the government office and you said, I disagree with that, and here's why, and it, they, they would terrorize you. And that included killing you. Uh, anyway, the Satan at work through human beings, because Satan can't ball up his fist and punch you in the face. He has to get a human to do it for him, and he does. Uh, whether you know, in some way, whatever violence or sin against somebody, he, he's he's getting. He has to get a person to do it. Verse seventeen. Menahem reigned in Israel in the thirty-ninth year of Azariah, king of Judah. Menahem, the son of Gedi, became king over Israel and reigned ten years in Samaria. So his act of terrorism evidently served his purposes because he served for ten years as king. And it worked for one lifetime. And after that, you could say, hell doesn't break loose, but you won't break loose from hell. So we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. 
Now the earth and the heaven fleeing in this part of John's vision in the Revelation is because judgment's about to be exercised. This is the fierce wrath of God, and nothing stands in, in nothing can deal with that. Uh, creation bows to that, does everything about him. But this is, of course, uh, emphasized. And then it goes on, talking about the wicked and their judgment. I'll just get to the end. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's how it ends. That is the final judgment for those who said, Jesus, you can't be my king and you can't be my savior. I'm fine without you. Made it this far without you, I'll make it the rest of the way. You will make it the rest of the way. But you will be suffering the whole time without relief. It will not be good for you. Um, That lake of fire is a spiritual lake of fire. It is a tormenting lake of fire. It's the place no one wants to go. Well, this is um, where uh, men like Menaeum end up. Ripping open the women and the babies and the pregnant mom, the evil that he did, the satanic things that he did to retain power. And you say, well, they all did it that way. (laughs) So God's going to say, oh, oh, okay. He's not. He's not going to say. He's going to say, but what do I want you to do? Verse 18, and he did evil in the sight of Yahweh. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. We should start saying that together. <laughs> we come there, we all just ring, who made Israel sin. Because he is a, man, is a, you know, God is warning people. He's saying, if I remember his sin, I'm going to remember your sin. And the only thing that can wash it away is my son. That's why I sent him. Call God mean, call me all sorts of names. You don't know what you're talking about. God is good because he doesn't have to save you. He doesn't have to make a place for you in heaven at his table to dine as his friend. As his friend. He can just lump you into the sea of hell, and he does not because he's good. And when we get to heaven, we're going to find out. You're going to just, oh, man. The Bible doesn't spend much time telling us about heaven. It's too much. It's just you, you can't handle it. Yeah, that's my conclusion. Uh, it is actually stated, Paul said, I saw things aren't even lawful, <laughs> they're not lawful to say. Uh, not because they were decadent, because they were glorious. Verse 18, and he did evil, and we read that, we don't want to read that again. Verse 19, Paul, king of Assyria. That sounds like a command at a skeet range. <laughs> Paul, king of Syria, Assyria. Anyway, Paul, king of Assyria, is <laughs> the king of Assyria working a skeet machine. <laughs> Paul, king of serious. Okay, stop. All right. I blame Looney Tunes. I mean, I just who they just put these things in your head that there's an element of life that is cartoonish. Paul, king of Assyria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. So Assyria is now getting big. Bigger than Syria and Israel combined, northern and south. They're, they're going to be the world power until the Babylonians unseat them. And uh, he, now they're coming. <coughs> Excuse me. Now they're coming to the land and he's going to pay them off. This is just the beginning. 
Isaiah writes about this, Woe to Assyria, the rod to my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. So you get to Isaiah 10, and you're like, oh man, this is so boring, this, and Ammon, and Ammon. But when they were living, it was like saying, and this is what's going to happen to Canada, and this is what's going to happen to Mexico, and here's why. And this is what's going to happen to, you know, Germany. And it was just, these places were real to them. And uh, they're real historically to us. And here, Isaiah is saying, God is using Assyria to judge the northern kingdom, because they will sweep them away. Uh, not because Assyria was good. Because they were bad enough to be useful. And he used them. And then he dealt with Assyria. And so just because you're an instrument of God doesn't mean you're safe. Uh, you, you, you better have a right relationship with him or you are toast. Well, this is the first mention of Assyria's king in Kings. Uh, Jonah, of course, ministered there before these events. And then we continue. Uh, and it says here... and. Menahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver. Just, just suffice it to say, it's a lot of money. It's on a government level, not an individual level. And when it talks about uh, that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control, well, he was supporting the Assyrians, and in return, Assyrians would, would sort of protect him too. Uh, at least that was the nervous understanding of everyone. Verse 20, and Menahem exacted the money from Israel from all the very wealthy from each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria so the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land so the Assyrians come and the king says okay I gotta I gotta drum up some cash here and he goes to all the wealthy people and says you gotta pay uh, this so I can give it to him and he won't come and kill us all and they that they did uh, verse, <clears throat> verse 21. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Verse 22. So Menahem rested with his fathers and Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. You know, if someone said, you know, you're pronouncing these, some of these names wrong, I would, you know what I would say? I don't care. <laughs> you should have named him John. It was something you know, everybody can pronounce. <laughs> verse 23 I mean I try and I think I get most of them right now in the 50th year of Azariah king of Judah Pekahiah that's it Pekahiah the son of Menahem became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord surprise he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nabat <laughs> we, we missed a chance to say it together who made Israel sin? Verse 25. You know, that's a good point to just, you know, get it into a child. You know, listen, I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you, kid, but I also don't want you to think that somehow sin is something God winks at. Because he does not. Especially when you're leading people away from him. Verse 25. Then Pika, boo, the son of Malia. <laughs> An officer of his conspired against him and killed him in Samaria, in the citadel of the king's house, along with Argob and Arya. And with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him and reigned in his place. How come none of you moms are naming your boys Argob? <laughs> I'm glad you're not. 
Can you imagine the child dedication for that? And here's little Argob. Sounds like a greedy kid. Um, anyway, now the rest of the acts of Pekiah and all that he did, indeed, are they not written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Pekah is, kills Pekiah, and he's going to be king for 20 years. Again, he's the one that's a combat technician. Not, uh, he's just strategist. Wins a lot of wars until he gets <laughs> assassinated. Now, where it mentions uh, the two men, Argob and Arya, these are likely accomplices that helped him get to kill the king. And uh, it says, and with him were 50 men. So it didn't take much to overthrow him. And we know by the antecedents that it's referring to uh, the men that were with Pekah who killed Pekiah. And we know this from the last clause. He killed him, singular pronoun, and reigned in his place. And that reinforces the interpretation that these guys were accomplices. He only needed 50 guys to do it because the king was sloppy. And he seized the moment that we could take this guy out with just a little strike, a little commando team. Verse 27, in, that would be force recon anyway, if you really want to get it. Okay, you just can't get the marine brainwashing out. He just, just always rears up its carnal head. You all can't appreciate it. Some of you can. Anyhow. Uh, verse 27. In the 52nd year, Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, son of Ramalia, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 22 years. Verse 28. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, did not depart <laughs> already from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, he, this. Pekah, why I mentioned he was such a, a military guy, Second Chronicles 28.6, for Pekah, the son of Ramalia, killed 120,000 of Judah in one day, all valiant men because he had forsaken Yahweh God of their fathers. So the kings in Judah, Ahaz at, that time, at this time, was, was just evil. And, and God says, I'm not blessing them, and I'm going to, in fact, use the others who I'm not blessing to win this great victory. And, and that's what happens. This is how God keeps, kept it all in check. He did not part, depart. We've covered this. Um, for it to be there, well, I, I know we got a few verses. We'll get right through them because this is the, probably one of the main parts. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. This says the Bible is not a his, history book. It has history in it. It, it makes it clear that it rebukes apostasy because it is spiritual. It is scripture. It is the word of God. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as found 23 times in the kings alone. This spiritual feature of the book exhorts the Lord and condemns sin. It's not a mere history book. Without addressing sin as sin, then it would be a history book. We have history books like that, but it does address it, and therefore, scriptural it is. Imagine an American, an American history book inserting such comments about American presidents. Imagine him saying, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, that history book would now become spiritual, and it would have a biblical element in it. 
He did not take away the abortion clinics. He did not stand against homosexuality. He did not aid Israel against nations with demonic religions. He did not uphold righteousness according to God's word in the New Testament and the Old. Imagine if a history book said that. Well, whoever put it in there would quickly be. <laughs> the Justice Department would show up. That's how serious it would be to them. Anyway, verse 29. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Aijon and those other places. And so it's beginning, the end of the north, verse 30. And Hoshea, the son of El-Ah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, <laughs> son of Remaliah. And struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place. The 20th year of Jotham. The son of Uzziah. And so he sneaks up on Pekah. And he goes boo. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Verse 31. You don't know how much wringing of the the cloth it is. Goes into the sorting this out. So I can come here and make it sound very easy. Um. Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Verse 32, and in the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, Jotham. Did I read that? No. John, thank you. Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, there are explanations for that. That's for the heavy commentaries and study Bibles just to make you say, oh, okay, so somebody can sort all this out. Verse, and they can pretty, do a pretty good job of it at least. Because of the overlapping of reigns, a king, co-regents, no one can get it 100%. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it had happened as it is stated. Verse 33, he was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadai. Not a clue who these people were. Verse 34, they knew who they were. And he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. So the kings in the south, their mothers get a mention and in-laws. And because there was more, uh, more righteousness there than in the north, more decency, but it would fade. Verse 34, he did right in the sight of Yahweh according to all that his father Uzziah had done. So again, the chronology is back Shifts back in time again, refocusing on the kings in the south. This is the son of Uzziah who we started off with. It says this of Jotham. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before Yahweh his God. Let me interpret that into New Testament language. God blessed you because you believed in Jesus Christ, but life was still under the curse. So once we realize that, we get stronger. I believe that. We understand. Okay. <clears throat> I get what's going on here. Uh, God, when, when, you, when you say to someone, have a blessed day, ideally, you would like that to mean, may you be the Lord's vessel. What more could you ask for in this life? I don't know of a higher blessing than to be used by God. We would interpret that, may I be safe from everything. May everything be wonderful for me. And we know that that is not a bad thing to want. It's just not the whole story. 
Well, verse 15, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built up the upper gate of the house of Yahweh. So they will get the king they deserve in Ahaz, who's next. Jotham could not get his son to believe in the Lord as Uzziah got him to believe. And no slight on Jotham. It comes down to the child's choice when they become an adult. Verse 37, in those days Yahweh began to send Rizin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, against Judah. You say, well, wait a minute, didn't he just get killed by Hoshea? Yeah, but he's going back again. Chronology is mixed up. He's back again to Judah. So uh, this, Isaiah called it, said, these two coming to bother the king in the south, Syria and and Israel, they're not going to win. They're trying to force Judah to side with Assyria, uh, against Assyria with them. And Ahaz is going to say, no, I'm not going to do that because Isaiah is, is right there to, to minister. Verse 38. So Jotham rested with his fathers and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaz, all trouble, and the uh, prophet Isaiah had to endure this fool of a king And we'll get to him next chapter, and hopefully the lessons will be helpful for us as New Testament Christians. Uh, Let's pray. Our Father, a lot of information of real events. You've left them for us to sort them out. And yet, in the midst of all these difficult names and historical events, enough facts come off the page to move us closer to righteousness to understand what it is you want from us, that you want a rich relationship with us, that we would not be like these kings who resisted you, opposed you, did evil all the way. We pray you get us all home safely tonight, and we ask you in Jesus' name, amen.